My name is Steve Pretty. I'm a musician, composer and performer from London and welcome to my podcast Steve Pretty on the origin of the pieces. This is the show that helps you to hear and understand music in new ways. Yes, hello, welcome back. It's lovely to be here as always. Um, I hope you enjoyed the previous episode. Uh, if you if you check that one out, um, that was where I talked about the gig I did naked, playing trumpet and shells uh, uh, for a life drawing class a couple of weeks ago. It's very uh, fun and enjoyable. And I also uh, previewed a little bit of my Wilton's Music Hall show, um, which I did as a live podcast recording and gig um, back in January. And I played a little bit of the fantastic Filament Choir from that and also some of my Hackney Colliery Band colleagues doing a little kind of mini version of Hackney Colliery Band. If you're new to the show, I know we've got a lot of new people um, because of a very nice write-up we had in The Guardian. Thank you to The Guardian for that. And also just people very kindly spreading the word um, because they've enjoyed the show. So thank you very much for that and welcome to the new people. Um, Yeah, there's a lot. This is episode 10 and we've covered a lot of ground in the last uh, nine, ten episodes. So do go back and have a listen. There's all sorts of interesting stuff. I hope you'll agree. We've had astronauts. We've had incredible musicians, performers, composers, and not just that, but also music lovers, you know, people who who don't necessarily make music themselves, but just love it and have a deep knowledge of it. I, I I really try with this show to to keep things quite broad and to embrace music, A, in all its forms, but B, in all its ways of being enjoyed, whether that's playing, whether that's composing, whether that's just listening. So, yeah, welcome to you all, whatever state of musically curious you are. Whether you make music in any form or whether you're just curious about it, you're all very welcome. Now, before I go any further, we've got a lot of fun stuff coming up in this episode, which I'll talk about shortly. But before I do that, I mentioned the Wilton's Music Hall show that I did um, back in January and the, the choir recording you heard last week and some other bits. I'm very pleased to say that we now have that entire show recorded and filmed really beautifully by a wonderful uh, filmmaker called Chris Lindsay. And that is going to be up on my Patreon by the time you listen to this episode. So if you go to uh, originofthepieces.com, there's links there to my Patreon or it's Steve Pretty on the Origin of the Pieces on Patreon and just to remind you that that is $5 a month um, and that gets you access to all sorts of bonus stuff including in this case the full Wilton show I will be putting bits and bobs of it up uh, on my YouTube channel which is just Steve Pretty on YouTube but um, I will also probably be keeping that full show just for Patreons uh, for for the time being because uh, it's really I'm really really proud of that show I think we did a lot of really fun and interesting stuff there was some incredible guests, Chris Lintot, the brilliant astronomer, uh, and uh, Valeria Clark, the harpist, and my colleagues from Hackney Colliery Band, Luke, Ollie, and Ed. We did a little mini Hackney Colliery Band, as I mentioned. Um, and, of course, also the Filament Choir, the amazing 30-piece Filament Choir, uh, all live on stage, led by uh, Osnat Schmuel. It was a really, really enjoyable show to do. I think there was a really lovely audience reception for it on the night as well. So if you missed it, or even if you were there and wanted just uh, you know relive some of those little bits it will be available exclusively on patreon and of course the main thing with patreon let's not beat around the bush is there to help me make this show uh, I, I i have incredibly ambitious plans for this show we have all sorts of amazing guests coming up and really 
fantastic. Some travel, uh, which I'll talk about later. Um, we're going to different locations, talking to people from all over the place about all manner of things musical. So, um, yeah, it's quite a lot of work, though, to put it together. So I uh, just do this myself. I, it's just me in my glorified shed at the bottom of my garden. But, um, you know, I try and keep the production values as high as I can uh, and do the best job I can. So uh, if you enjoy what you hear, it would really, really help me out if you would join my Patreon for $5 a month. Um, yeah, and it just helps support the show and you get loads of extra bonus bits as well. Anyway, plug over on with the show. So later in the show today, I am going to be finally doing my deep dive into cowpunk. If you've heard the show before, you'll know that uh, most episodes I try and do this thing called the genre tombola, which is where I have the list of uh, musical genres from Wikipedia, and it's about 1,300 of them, and I feed it into a random list picker on the internet, and it picks a genre for me. Um, and the genre that was picked a couple of weeks ago was cowpunk, but because of the live show and because of wanting to play a bit of the choir, I didn't do anything with cowpunk on the last episode, but this episode I've very much do so stay tuned for my dive into the world of cowpunk and in a section of the show that i sometimes do called music theory where we look at the sort of nuts and bolts of what music is we take a quick look at reverb courtesy of the wilton's music hall show that i mentioned earlier where i discussed reverb in its many forms it might sound niche but it's very important as we'll discover in a bit But first, I have a fantastic guest for this first part of the show today. I'm going to let him introduce himself, but just to say that he is a fabulous musician and has a really incredible story. As you'll discover, um, I think probably the worst word you can use uh, for people in his position is inspiring because they must hear it all the time and get very sick of it. In fact, we talked about that after we recorded this interview. um, But yeah, I'm afraid I do drop the word inspiring, the I word a couple of times and hopefully you'll see why um, because Nat's story is incredible. So I'm going to hand over to a rather noisy pub. It's before a gig that I did with Nat last week. So forgive the noise. I've tried to reduce it as much as possible, but hopefully it will be okay. But this is a noisy pub before a gig in North London with the amazing Nathaniel Dye. My name is Nathaniel Dye and um, I'm a musician. That's kind of why I'm here. Yeah. Um, also a music teacher, ultramarathon runner. Um, and unfortunately, I also have stage four bowel cancer and um, I was diagnosed in autumn of 2022. Um, and yeah, uh, essentially I'm dying. So um, yeah, it's, 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 it's been an interesting year or so. Yeah, well, thank you so much for talking to me. I, I, we, we did a gig together this time last week. So we're playing with a band I'm going to be talking about a bit more on the show, a Spanner big band, really fun big band, lots of interesting music, running from jazz to, to rock and funk and various other things. Lots of fun. Um, and, but you, you gave a little speech at the end, because we'd met, I think, maybe on one gig before, but didn't know each other before that, really. But then, then you gave a little speech at the end to the audience in Jamboree in King's Cross in London about your situation, because uh, you're raising money, right? Yeah, so... I decided with joint passions in music and running and with um, a really good cause to raise money for, uh, Macmillan Cancer Support, 
I decided to go for running the London Marathon, which is going to be in April, whilst playing the trombone. <laughs> yeah, that um, generally gets that kind of reaction. Incredible. It's um, absolutely amazing. Yeah, I, I've in fact inquired with Guinness to see if it could be a world record, but um, they won't recognise it for some reason. Oh, really? Maybe. Maybe because you could, I don't know, do a honk at the beginning and just run with it oh, the see. whole time. Oh, I see. Yeah, 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 yeah. I see you're, you're on brand here. You're drinking the Guinness Zero, <laughs> trying, to, <laughs> trying to get them on side. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's got to be the Zero because I got liver cancer, so I probably shouldn't. You know. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, um, so I've decided to challenge myself with that, apart from just running whilst playing. Um, so if you donate to uh, my fundraiser, which you can find through bowelcancerbucketlist.com, then you can uh, choose a song for me to have to learn and uh, and play whilst I'm running the London Marathon. It's absolutely... I mean, I can't imagine running a marathon. I mean, it's the kind of marathon problem, isn't it? You can't imagine running a marathon until you've done it. I mean, I do a bit of running, you know, like 15, 20 minutes here and there, and that's plenty for me. Um, but so the thought of running the marathon full stop is terrifying, let alone playing a brass instrument all the way around and let alone with stage four power cancer. I mean, it's like absolutely insane challenge. Well, it, it feels insane at the moment, especially <laughs> because unfortunately I'm now going through chemo again. So I have various side effects, which means I get about maybe two runs in per three-week cycle. So wow. I'm just hoping I'll have a bit of a break by April mm. um, in order to to just do it. But I mean, people kind of say, oh, well, if you can do it, that'd be great. But for me, that's not good enough. Right, right. I'm going to get to the start line, whatever. Yeah. And it's got quite a generous kind of community feel time limit of eight hours, I believe. So if I need to just make it into some kind of march rather than run, yeah, 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 that's yeah, going to yeah. happen. It's just however, however you get to finish. I mean, it's, it's similar with, with with the ultras as well, because I've I've got um, four hundred milers to my name. The, the most recent of which four hundred miles. Well, four times one hundred miles. Oh you know, so yeah. the most recent of those was when I, I I set up a challenge of running from um, Harwich in Essex, and there's a there's a trail called the Essex Way that goes up to Epping, just outside of London. And then um, London's about another 20 miles, so it was 100 miles. And that um, that was with all that's going on and a colostomy. Oh, my and, Lord. Um, yeah, so I've definitely got the endurance. Let's just yeah, I've yeah, got yeah. the tough whilst running. Had a little bit of a go. I mean, uphill is a bit difficult. But, um, but I don't know. It's going to be just the best atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. And um, I've got... Uh, uh, Roy Music, who who make the plastic trombones, the P-Bone. Yeah. They've uh, kindly sent me an instrument. Nice. I'm going to strap a speaker and uh, uh, to my waist belt and uh, play some backing tracks. Oh, great. So great, great, hopefully great. I'm not just on my own. And um, I'm kind of scared of some of the repertoire that I'm going to um, get, get given, really. I've had some... <laughs> Quite bonkers stuff like Mars from the Planet, which oh is in five four, and running whilst doing that. <laughs> um, there's a Tchaikovsky waltz, which is in five four as well. But um, I think really, really long, slow stuff is going to be the uh, enemy. Yeah, potentially. yeah. So well, it's the enemy. Even, notes. even on a gig, it's long, slow stuff. The enemy, right? Let alone running a marathon. Yeah, so I'm not sure which is going to be worse, the uh, the lips or the lungs, <laughs> yeah, of uh, or, or the feet, because um, it can take me eight hours, but 
I haven't really played for eight hours either. Yeah, right. On its, on its own. Yeah, yeah, know, yeah, how, yeah. How long do we end up playing brass instruments for? Yeah, maybe a couple of hours tops. Or we met in a studio maybe, you know, sometimes six, eight hours, but like with breaks not and not running a marathon at the same time. Well, um, after this last gig where I did the shout-out, um, I got a really, really generous song suggestion, which came with a donation, which was, have five minutes off. <laughs> Basically, five well, minutes surely, surely 4.33 is the, that's what you need to do. Um, the, the, the John Cage piece, 4 minutes 33 seconds, you know. Absolutely. That's what, and, that's what um, we need to do. A, a big part of that is just the incidental noises that happen in the audience in a silent space. Exactly. So, so sorry for clarity for people who are listening who don't know what that is. It's a piece by John Cage which has uh, no notes in it. It's, it's not, not silent, it, but it's all about listening to what, what the incidental noise in space is, as you say. Uh, so yeah, there you go. 4.33 is a good suggestion, right? Sponsor. Well, there we go. Um, maybe I get 27 bonus seconds. I don't <laughs> yeah, know. exactly. But um, yeah, that was um, that was pretty cool. So I've, I've got at least one little period of respite. That's great. But just coming into the, to the music, because when we were talking after the gig last week, we were talking about, because you've really, I mean, you're, what, what was your background? Uh, what is your background? Well, um, I'm yeah, a, a McClaskey trained musician and I became a, a music teacher you know, straight away. And I'm a... I'm a primary school music teacher. Uh, pretty successful, actually. Our, our primary school won a national award recently. Right, well. Um, just as uh, just as things are going pretty badly for me personally, the professional life was uh, hotting up. It's taking you know. up for it, right. T- took, a, um, took a music school group to the Albert Hall for the Music oh, Fuse Proms. Amazing, amazing. Um, so, yeah, all, all sorts of really, really good experiences. Um, and... Um, well, actually, I'm, I'm really proud of one thing that a lot of people just think I'm bonkers for doing, which is after a load of cancer treatment, I had um, chemotherapy, then emergency surgery because I got a bowel obstruction. And then I decided pretty much as soon as my body would let me to go back into the classroom. And people were looking at me and thinking, what on earth are you doing back here? <laughs> you could take early retirement. You mm-hmm. could uh, go to a beach somewhere. I remember one musician t- telling me, God, what are you doing here on this gig? You could be anywhere else but here. You could be on a, you could be on a beach sunning yourself, just having the most comfortable life. But um, here am I just choosing to make music, choosing to make music with kids. And... It, it took having all of that ripped away from me, mm. I think, to really realise how amazingly rewarding and special being a musician and being a teacher is. Um, and how I, I think it's, this probably sounds a bit more profound than it is, but it's the best use of the time I've got left. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't know why. But I just feel like I I need to still make that contribution, even though I don't have to. You know, it's very strange. But I think isn't that isn't that just an extension of why we all we all do it? You know, because I think that the, the idea that you become a musician for for the money is obviously uh, if you're doing that, you're, do, you're making a very strange choice. Oh, it's got very noisy in this pub. Sorry, um, but but so in a sense. We all do it out of a sense of vocation, passion, and drive to, to because it's something we believe in, and we believe in the communicative power of music to touch other people and all of those things. Um, and obviously, for you, that has been accelerated. But but I guess it makes you focus in even more on your priorities. 
I think music now makes me makes me feel in a different way. Uh, like so many musical experiences, just mean a little bit more. Mm. Like one of the first things I did when I was um, diagnosed and trying to process it all was I started um, started writing a song, um, just like a me, me and a piano, a, a, a kind of tearjerker ballad type thing about about ringing the bell that you get to ring when you're cancer free. Um, and it just helped me kind of be a bit resolute about it all mm. and think, right, look, whatever happens, whatever I have to go through, whatever hell, I'm still going to keep going because just having this moment in my head of, of, of ringing this bell that I have to walk past in hospital every day, mm. I'm just going to hang on to that. And yeah. Unfortunately, since... <laughs> Good timing with the food bell going off behind this thing. Ding dong. Unfortunately, since I wrote that song... Uh, I won't be ringing any bells now. It's uh, the, the cancer is officially classed as, um, you know, spread spread so far that um, any treatment is now palliative, essentially. Mm-hmm. So uh, they're just looking to ca- to contain whatever's there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still kind of sing that to myself just to to pre- provide a bit of comfort. Yeah. Um, and then a, a few other songs have started to just come into my head and um, uh, yeah, various songs are in various stages of half-finishedness. You know how it is with, you know, I guess this is a concept album, like a cancer concept album mm-hmm. now that yeah. might eventually see the light of day, who knows? But um, yeah, creativity is really strange. So um I've had various bits of trauma in my life. And at one point, I thought, right, okay, this tragedy has happened to me. I'm going to be really creative now. Mm. I'll, be, I'll have all sorts of things to write about, to sing about, and this is going to just produce this amazing creative spark. And the opposite happened. Right. I just had no, nothing in me. It was just, it was too much for mm. me to do any creating. But... I don't know. I mean, I'm recently it's just produced some really good music. So maybe both things are true. Maybe tragedy produces great music and it's okay for it not to. Yeah, absolutely. Well, but you do. I mean, I think it's you, people deal with things in different ways and, and music and creativity is, I guess, one way of one way of dealing with things that can be really effective. But it's not it's not always a cure. Sometimes you need to space and time to process things before you're able to be creative, I, I imagine. Um, yeah, I I don't know. It's um, it's a case of I'm, I'm off the chemo now. I could potentially spend even if it's ten minutes a day at the piano, just working out the, the songs that are kind of in my head and mm. putting them into fruition. But somehow that's not happening. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, who knows? Who knows how to uh, become productive? I mean, we, we have all sorts of ways. Maybe I need a deadline or something. Um, sorry, that sounds pretty morbid. Can I, I'm not sure. Can I say the word deadline anymore without that having hey, connotations? Man, it's your. It's, I think you 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 have the, earned the right more than earned the right to say whatever you like in that context. I think. But yeah, the humour's become really dark now. I'm sure. I'm in sure. all in all sorts of ways. So yeah, I say stuff like that, and I think yeah, actually that's really funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but. Yeah, yeah, all sorts of things um, just happen now. I've got, I've, I've got a song about you know just raising awareness mm. and just making it a little bit um, frivolous. 
I've got one. I've attempted to make a kind of joke song, which is like a blues about my stoma, which is a colostomy bag, um, which I've named Homer, essentially because it's going to rhyme in a song. I thought that was too good an opportunity not to. Homer's stoma, nice. And um, so Homer's um, song has like a solo from Homer because... Um, maybe this is slightly puerile, I must admit, but like Homer has like a kind of fart solo in the middle. Um, because this just happens to me. I'm surprised it hasn't happened on this recording, just making lots of like noises because I can't control this now. Of course, of course. Um, I haven't really um, got a way to make it happen in the middle either. So I just buzz my lips or <laughs> might get a brass mouthpiece or something. But speaking of, of which, the um, you're... Uh, a fantastic trombone player we were playing uh, in the gig last week and we we're about to play again For the, we talked about the creativity of writing songs and things but also from the point of view of like practicing your instrument I've talked about on the podcast in the past the difficulty of maintaining your your chops as a brass player your your abilities and your muscle musculature to play the instrument at a, at, a, at a high level it's not easy at the best of times and yeah you, you, you're sounding absolutely fantastic last week well it's really interesting that you um, you call me a fantastic trombone player there because I've got the biggest sense of imposter syndrome well that, I have to say that's something we all share I think right we, we all, all most musicians feel like oh I'm, I'm not really a proper musician like so and so is but yeah but I, I, I'm from my point of view, you sound absolutely really great. But I think it happens especially to teachers who are also musicians. Yeah, yeah, I suppose that's true. Because you think, ah, oh, you know, I'm just, I'm just not there, you know, with the best way in the world when you're a teacher, you generally can't practice as much. Yeah. Um, playing gigs in the evening and then having to get up at five o'clock to get lessons ready, etc. Oh, wow. They don't go well together. No. In fact, it's really weird since I've been like on sick leave for chemo. I've been doing way more playing than yeah, I have done right, otherwise. Right, right, right. Um, but I, I, I do as much as I can to maintain. It's, it's, I, there are various things that just get in the way. Of course. Like, um, well, of course, I mean, with, with, with chemo treatment, hey, they're starting up. With, um, with chemo, I get this side effect called peripheral neuropathy, which is like intense pins and needles in hands, oh, feet, goodness. and throats. Oh, and wow. it means um, I can't really touch brass instruments for a yeah. little bit, you know, and it, it wears off through the cycle. Steve, back in the studio now. And before we go any further with this interview, I just want to drop in a little sample of Nat's fantastic playing from the very gig we were about to play when we spoke here. So here's a little solo that Nat did on a great tune called Medicine. One thing I've really noticed from, um, from from the last year or so is that, um, I mean, having cancer doesn't necessarily um, get you a, le- a yes to asking for stuff, but it definitely gets people listening. So I found my way into all sorts of absolutely fantastic opportunities as, as a musician. Um, I've just worked my way into all sorts of groups, um, played with a bit... Um, with a ska punk band called Filthy Militia, 
that's just because I kind of heard there might be an opening and just was brave enough to say, yeah, can I do that? Um, and and would, you have, would you have done that before your diagnosis, do you think? Probably not, because I wouldn't have been confident enough that I'd be good for it. But, but now, like, in all sorts of aspects of not just music, but life, I think, God, at this point, I might as well have a go. Like, it, I mean, I, I hate to... I hate to, to sort of be simplistic and, and, and try and, you know, try and reduce things down to kind of easy, easy sound bites. But is that not something that we, is that not something that we should all take, take a lesson from, right? In, in terms of, I mean, obviously you're in this very awful situation. And by the way, I haven't yet said I'm really terribly sorry for your situation. It's really awful. Thanks. I've been trying to keep it light, but, but it's, it's obviously, it's really appalling and I'm very, very sorry that you're having to go through that. But, but but equally, we we're all we're all closer to that than than we might think. I mean, you, you know, for you, it's it's we, it's much more known than it is for most people day to day. But it's a cliche. But I could get knocked down by a bus on the way home today. So in terms of in terms of taking those opportunities when they're when they're there and kind of going for things, if you're feeling a bit nervous or feeling a bit of the imposter syndrome that everyone's got and stuff. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but is, would you say that that's something that we can kind of... Well, I don't know, maybe I'm making this overly simplistic as well, but um, there were times when I think, God, knowing that I'm dying soon, that's that's a bit of a gift. Ooh. It means I can just go for stuff and I, I don't have to worry about feeling validly worth it yeah. because... At least I'm doing something. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I may not deserve to be here, but well, I'm here, so I, so I may as well take the opportunities that are there. Like it's, it's led to all sorts of things. Like I've I've written about. I'm getting on for ten thousand words now in national newspapers and magazines. Yeah. All sorts of things, just because I started telling my story and started getting into it and asked people if they wanted my my piece in their paper and it's just it's snowballed it's amazing yeah? it's so amazing. it's just 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 take take these chances you may as well and um and in some ways as well the pressure's off like i don't have to worry about career development mm-hmm. um yeah it's like I, I wrote a big long thing actually about how toxic ofsted is and actually you know part of that was spurred on by the fact that I'm probably not going to be here for the next one that my school right, has. Right, 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 right. Okay, it's kind of liberating. I, the teaching bit can just be the joyous parts. I take, yeah. I, I, I take all the joy and I don't have to worry about all the, yeah. all the rubbish that surrounds it. No, of course. Um, personally, anyway. Yeah. Obviously, I do what's required for the kids. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, all sorts of aspects. I can mm. just live with a kind of freedom that mm. just wouldn't have been there. I, I, I have nothing to prove now to anyone. Um, and yeah, when you've when you've run a hundred miles with cancer, you think, God, what what else do I have to prove? Look, I've I've made a statement now. I've come back to work. I've made statements about living as well as I possibly can. Obviously, I'll continue to do that. But um, in some ways, I mean, obviously, this is absolutely rubbish. I'd rather not have cancer. Don't get me wrong. Um, I once heard. I think it was you, me, and the Big C podcast on the BBC, and they were saying, "Well, I'm not certain I'd necessarily go back. It's part of me now." And I think finally I get that. Right. At the time, I really wasn't happy with that statement, but God, it's in some ways it's brought opportunities. It's brought joy that um, 
wouldn't have otherwise been there. That's so interesting. And so some people keep telling me I've lived more life in the last year than I might have lived in the next 40 anyway. I think yeah. it's, I mean, it's obviously, and this is again a very overused uh, uh, statement, but it's obviously very, very inspiring. And I, But I, I also just go back to what I was saying just now, which is that, that all of us are... We, life is unpredictable and and again you know whether it's getting, being in a, na- a car accident or getting knocked down by a bus or being you know having a diagnosis or whatever it might be we, we all no one knows what's around the corner and so for me the one of the wonderful things about music and when when I was talking to you about it last week if it's something that you're passionate about uh, either as a listener or as a player or as you know as someone musically curious there's it's an amazing adventure and 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 i think that's what was really inspiring talking to you now and and a bit last week it was just embracing that adventure for for its own sake and and uh and of course all the amazing running you're doing and everything else as well so i think there's really yeah it's really i'm gonna say it again it's really inspiring you know and so thanks very much for uh for that oh yeah thanks for having me and um yeah, if anyone's interested in my story, you can go to barrelcancerbucketlist.com and that's got all sorts of stuff, um, a few press links and whatever. And most importantly, links to the Remedium Fundraiser, which is uh, yeah. about seven and a half grand at the moment. Oh, congratulations. That's great. And um, can I just have um, a quick plug for one thing that's on my bucket please, list? But please, I haven't, please. Had, I haven't been able to fix yet, right? Um, so one thing I really like to do play at Glastone in some way nice okay so if anyone's listening and you know a way to get a Glastone accreditation or even better like a space on a stage at some point you know this I think just let me know I think this might be something we can make happen um, let's see if we can make that happen with the podcast community I reckon I reckon that might be something we can do so let's get now to Glasgow <laughs> hashtag get now to Glasgow exactly yeah yeah but so, thanks so much for that. that was really really great we've got to go and play some music together yeah it's going maybe... cheers Steve. appreciate nice it one. now look I'm not going to use the I word again but I hope you agree that that was uh, really fascinating insight into uh, Nat's amazing approach to living his life and uh, living it through music so yeah I'd love to hear what you thought of that and of course go to bowelcancerbucketlist.com to suggest some songs for Nat to play as he runs the London Marathon but also if you've got any way of getting Nat to Glastonbury particularly to play then please do Um, I'm going to be looking into a few different uh, ideas I've got but um, otherwise if you're in a band and you think oh you know you know what it'd be great to have trombone um, and Nat as I've demonstrated a hope and uh, really believe is a really great player so you'd be getting a really great trombonist first and foremost but also fulfilling Nat's uh, wonderful dream of playing at Glastow right on with the show and as that long artificial spacey reverb dies out uh, now feels like the perfect opportunity to talk about exactly that reverb because it is the 70th anniversary of a very important song in the history of music called Space Guitar which was probably the most maybe not the first use of artificial reverb in a song but certainly the most prominent it's by Johnny Guitar Watson uh, do go and check it out if you if you haven't heard it it's quite bonkers it kind of they, they really put loads of reverb on um, and then take it off alternately and if you're not necessarily aware of what reverb is some people call it kind of echo slightly different from that it's what you get if you are in a big cathedral for example or in a cave as I'll discuss shortly and we add it now artificially as Johnny 
Guitar Watson did in that song. So 70th anniversary of that song. I'm going to take us back to Wilton's Music Hall, though, where I did talk about reverb with my friend and the great scientist, Chris Lintot. So here we are, back in Wilton's Music Hall, talking about how important sound design and a sense of place and space is to most music in the world. Yeah, again, we had uh, the astronaut Chris Hadfield on uh, a couple of episodes ago, and we, I talked to him about um, the acoustics in the space station, because of course I did. Um, and he, because uh, he of course, if you don't know Chris Hadfield, he was the person, the astronaut who recorded uh, David Bowie's Space Oddity on the space station, which is quite cool. Um, and uh, yeah, and we were talking about what it's like, and he basically said, Ironically, given that it's the line in Bo's song, that it does sound like just playing in a tin can. You know, it's very, it's very sort of dead, nothing much to it. Um, and so, yeah, it's like quite. A, it, it doesn't really give much atmosphere. It feels like you know, playing playing in a very kind of deadened uh, deadened room because there's so much equipment everywhere. It's something that I, I'm quite obsessed by when it comes to to music because I think a lot of time when people think about music, um, they think about the different elements of music: rhythm, harmony, maybe. Um, uh, pitch, melody, that kind of stuff. What you don't necessarily think about is, I guess, like the acoustics or the sound design, if you like. And that might sound like a kind of nerdy thing, um, uh, technical, technical side of music, but actually it's really intrinsically linked to how music works and how we hear and understand music, you know, whether we, uh, where, what we're kind of perceiving it as, where we're perceiving it as being. So um, this room, it's, it's quite hard to play, to, to get a kind of very dead uh, flat sound in this room because it's quite a big reverberant room. But you can, you can artificially add reverb if you're recording stuff, as people do in, um, in recording studios, of course, these days. Uh, they will often be in quite small booths, so a vo- vocalist might record in a little box, very, very muffled box, and then you add artificial reverb afterwards. And it's kind of a weird thing to do because uh, you know you think why why does it sound better when it sounds when it sounds uh, like it's it's being sung in a church or something? And it's because it just there's something that it gives it a kind of sense of grandeur that I think ties back to our early past. And one of the reasons we like music in the first place is that this idea of ritual and ceremony. And again, it comes back like almost everything does, people, to the shell, right? To, because the sh- if, if you imagine the shell being played in a living room. Doesn't just sound. Just, just sounds like a noise. The shell being played. So I got a great privilege to record a load of shells in the Natural History Museum, uh, in the main hall of the Natural History Museum, overnight um, a year or so ago, which was incredible a thing to do. And if you play, like, let me just get this this, this big shell out, right? Um, if you play this in here, it will sound nice because it's quite a reverberant room. So you can hear it ringing out in the Natural History Museum. That last that that reverb lasted about about sort of what 20, 30 seconds. It was absolutely amazing. But what was even more extraordinary was that this shell, this tiny little baby one, that one of the smallest ones that I've got, is um, uh, this one somehow the, the natural kind of resonant frequency of the Natural History Museum, that Hinsey Hall, the main hall there, with the whale skeleton in, just somehow matched this right. So the note that this uh, that this uh, plays just somehow matched that room and the whole room just sort of lit up and it was, it was about 1am uh, in December, freezing cold in there and it was just, it was incredibly magical and it really, it really transported uh, everyone there back to, uh, to, you know, to ancient times. So just play it. So 
So quite a short reverb time in here, but again, the, just the natural resonance of that, of that room, like a, a big cave would have been back in the day. It, I mean, genuinely, there are only a few of us in there doing this recording session, and one, one of the people who was, um, who was helping out started crying. <laughs> And as you played one note on this, and it's so I think there's something incredibly powerful, and it's really important to to think about things like sound design um, when we when we when we think about music, as almost as important I would say uh, as melody or harmony. So, little insight into my love of all things sound design and reverb, and no doubt we're going to be coming back to this in various iterations over the forthcoming episodes because it does, as I mentioned there, tie into all sorts of different aspects of music and how we understand it. But now it is time for the genre tombola. Now, once again, to reiterate, this genre was chosen for me by the gods of the internet, the random list picker, and it is cowpunk. That's right, cowpunk. In this section, I often invite a guest to help me kind of parse and unpick the different genre that I'm looking at each episode. But for cowpunk, it was remarkably difficult to to find anyone to be honest i think it's a genre i think it's probably fair to say that as a genre it was more popular in the sort of 70s 80s maybe early 90s so there's maybe not as many cowpunk bands around as there once were and i spoke to a, a very good friend of mine who will be on a future episode who is a big um, hardcore punk fan and also a big country music fan and he did not know any cowpunk didn't know any didn't had never heard of cowpunk um he also spoke to his other friends who were into those genres didn't know anything about cowpunk either, which I found quite interesting. So it's clearly, it's not a massively kind of a live genre, uh, at least in the UK, uh, amongst uh, punk fans or country music fans for that matter. Because that's what cowpunk is. It's cowboy punk, right? It's, it's a hybrid of kind of cowboy country and western style music and punk music, hardcore punk music. So rather than digging deep into the the bands, the different bands that uh, make up that scene, as I sometimes do here with guests, what I'm actually going to do is just unpick the track I've made. Because that's right, people, I have made a cowpunk track um, in the last few days. Cowpunk um, comes particularly in America from you know rural communities. It's a lot of the origins of cowpunk came from people who were taking traditionally country and western songs and speeding them up uh, to a very fast sort of punk style tempo and putting a you know much heavier drum beat, maybe more distortion under it and that kind of thing. I'm going to give you a little breakdown of the track and then I'm going to play the track in its entirety. The first thing I do when I'm writing uh, music in a genre like this that I I don't know much about is to try and really listen to the instrumentation. You know. I'm a, a composer and an instrumentalist myself, so I really try and listen to the sound of the drums, not just what beat they're playing, but what you know what the drum sound is. So here's the sound of the drums. I put together some some drum recordings, and this is what they sound like. So you can hear it's a, it's quite a kind of rocky punky sounding uh, drum kit but also quite a uh, kind of country and western style beat you can hear that country and western style beat if that was slowed down significantly then it would sound probably you know more like a traditional country and western song so the next thing i i did was to get some bass on it now often as a modern music producer you have a lot of basically what are called virtual instruments. So in other words, uh, recordings of instruments called samples where you can basically play that instrument on a keyboard and you can program it in on the computer and play it in on the keyboard. And that's how I would often prepare a track like this with instruments that I don't personally play. But I have a bass in my studio. I cannot really play it. I know that is not me being humble. I really 
can't you know play it. I know what the strings are. I've worked with a lot of bass players. I know what it looks like to play bass, and I've I've maybe maybe played it for a total of you know an hour or two over the last 10 years but i have this bass in my studio from a, a previous project and i thought this is a punk record this is a a country and western record these people wouldn't necessarily be you know the most advanced um technical musicians on their instrument and so in the spirit of punk i thought i'm going to play bass on this track so here is my bass line which in isolation uh, sounds slightly shameful And you can hear with this bass sound that I'm, I'm playing in quite a distorted way. Often you play through amplifiers with, uh, with valves in that can really give this really nice kind of warmth but slightly gritty sound to it. So that's the bass line with uh, a bit of uh, distortion on it. And next, a bit of acoustic guitar, just a rhythm guitar to, to kind of hold and lock everything in together. And that sounds like this. going to be quite low in the mix that and then uh, and again this is I'm afraid from the computer this is not me playing this acoustic instrument because it is notoriously tricky and that is the banjo I've played uh, some virtual banjo on this which again gives it that more country flavor I think more country and western flavor so that sounds a bit like this And to finish it all off, I was thinking this, you know, it needs something else, this track, apart from the vocals, which I'm going to come to. It needs something else instrumentally. And of course, something that's very much associated with um, country Western music or with uh, music from uh, that sort of regions of Southern America, particularly, is the slide guitar. Now, the slide guitar is something that you often play with a bottle top around your uh, around your finger. Uh, on the left hand and you slide up and down between the notes and then you play you pluck the strings with your right hand um, and you can play melodies and but you have this really nice ability to slide up and down more than you do with a regular guitar i don't have a slide guitar uh, in my studio because i don't play it and they're quite bulky and big but what i do have is a shovel guitar and that is a three string guitar which I bought basically for a gimmick when when we built the studio in the garden a few years ago I thought it would be appropriate since I am at the bottom of the garden next to the compost heap I thought it would be appropriate to have something gardening related in the studio and so I saw this uh, fantastic guy on eBay who makes uh, guitars out of all sorts of things including shovels so I've had this guitar shovel this shovel guitar in my studio for <laughs> since since we built it and I've I maybe used it on one project just to make some kind of, I guess, sound designy noises for, I think, for a TV thing that I was doing. But I've not really used it in anger, in, in, in the style that it should be played in. And that is, it's basically a slide guitar. The strings are very high up off the neck of the shovel and it doesn't have any what are called frets, which are the little metal bars that go across guitars and basses to tell you where to put your fingers, basically, to keep the notes in tune. So yeah, I realised that I actually did have a slide guitar in the form of this shovel guitar. So again, not an instrument I really play, but I tuned up these three strings and this is what it sounds like. Now we come to the lyrics, which are, of course, a very important part of this style of music. Cowpunk's an interesting one because of this fusion of country and Western music and punk music, both of which have mixed political histories, you could say. So country and Western music now, 
perhaps uh, you you might think it's more associated with kind of right-wing politics in America with the gun lobby and all that kind of thing. But of course, country and western music also has a very rich history of more left-wing politics. Woody Guthrie, uh, arguably, you know, one of the fathers of folk music in in America and therefore kind of country and western, he was very much a, a left-wing campaigner really. He was a protest singer and so it has this history of those two elements. And of course, punk is very much the same. For me, Punk, I often think of as associated with the kind of progressive politics, if you like, with things like, uh, I guess, culturally, with things like veganism and alternative lifestyles and progressive views on gender, all that kind of stuff. But of course, punk does also have this darker side um, where, you know, there's, it's on the fringes of it, there are fascists, basically, there are skinheads. And, you know, there is that crossover there. Incidentally, I've got an interview coming up with an absolutely incredible guest quite soon where we talk about this sort of stuff in much more detail about this kind of social history of punk and how it crosses these uh, divides of politics. But that's for another time. For now, though, when it comes to writing the lyrics of this song, I wanted it to kind of represent the more progressive side of things. You know, I like to uh, think of myself as being more on the progressive side of things. But also I wanted to situate it because I think for music like cowpunk, it's very much associated with particular communities. It comes out of, in this case, normally rural communities, as far as I understand it, in America and to an extent in the UK as well. Now I'm writing a UK version of it, so I thought... I thought, you know, I want to sort of set it in a kind of rural community, perhaps a community w- with quite a lot of deprivation in it, because again, cowpunk, both country and western and punk music, both come traditionally, I guess, from this place of, uh, I guess, you know, deprivation. Both of those uh, styles of music often are born through um, disaffection, often caused by, you know, deep-rooted poverty. And then I realised I, I spend quite a lot of time over in Suffolk. I'm involved with a brilliant festival called First Light Festival over in Lowestoft, which I'll be talking more about as the year rolls on. But I was over in Suffolk over the weekend and again, spend quite a lot of time there. So know it fairly well. And I thought, you know what, that's really, that's kind of interesting. It's an interesting area because it, parts of Suffolk are, are very well off, but lo- very large parts of Suffolk are, are really quite, you know, deprived. And somewhere like Lowestoft is a, is a good example of that. It's a very beautiful area, but it's also got a lot of deprivation since the decline of the fishing industry in particular Uh, you know there's not so many jobs around there and it's yeah it's it's can be a tough place um, to live I think so I set it in Suffolk particularly that part of Suffolk Lowestoft a small town called Kessingland and then the other side which is to be fair a much fancier part of Suffolk called Southwold some of you might know it it's a kind of fancy beach resort Warbleswick is very posh lots of celebrities live there that kind of thing but they're all within a few miles of each other these places and on of course they're on the coast but as you go inland we're straight into rural farming territory which again spoke to me when we're talking about cowpunk i'm not much of a lyricist i do sometimes uh, write lyrics for songs i'm working on but you know in a genre like this and with a tight turnaround i've enlisted the help of ai in this case um, google's ai called bard which i happen to be uh, signed up for and so I thought I would read the, the, the prompts that I gave it because uh, we haven't got time to go into, you know, the pros and cons of using AI as a creative tool and the threats they're, they're in. But we will look at that, of course, uh, down the line, I'm sure, in a future episode because there's all sorts of fascinating stuff we can dig into there. Let, but, but in the meantime, let me just read you the prompts that I gave Bard to write the lyrics that you're about to hear. So firstly, I said, can you write me a cowpunk song lyric set in East Anglia? All right. 
And then it came up with some very nice stuff. It came up with stuff that was mainly based in Norfolk. So I came back and said, that's good, because the, the first draft was good. But can you make it more specific to Lowestoft, Kessingland and Southwold? And so sure enough, it came back with a more Suffolk-focused lyric, uh, which was nice. And then after that, I thought, hmm, needs a bit of tweaking. So I said, that's good, but can we make it more socially progressive and countercultural? Going back to what I was saying just now about punk and country music having those elements. And then it came back, improvement again. And then I realised there was a lot of stuff, because of it being cow punk, there was a lot of stuff about cattle and cows. Now, if you know anything about East Anglia in the UK and uh, you know the, the rural produce that comes from there, probably the best known thing that comes from Suffolk is pigs, not cows. So I said... Uh, with this final prompt, that's almost perfect, but can we reference pigs instead of cattle? So listen out for the porcine reference in this song. So enough chat. Here is my cowpunk song set in East Anglia. Echoes on the breeze Singing of struggles, singing of moons Carried by the salty seas We may not be wrangling cattle on land But the heart of a rebel is still the same East Anglian grit in every hand Fighting for a world free from all blame No stencils here, no boots of war The fight's for piglets, not some ranch Spirits fierce, the fight is raw Defying corporate greed Staunch, gonna be a fan A motley crew, singing anthems Loud and bold, lowest of Kessingham Right, I hope you enjoyed that. That was, of course, my East Anglian cowpunk song. Bit of fun, bit of fun, but um, hopefully 
people will take that in the spirit it was intended, which was a genuine sort of investigation into that genre, just as I try and do with every genre. But you can have fun along the way, right? Uh, yeah, let me know what you think of my uh, my cowpunk song. Maybe I've totally hit Mr. Mark, but I really enjoyed making that. So it is time to pick the genre for next episode in this genre tombola. So I've got my spreadsheet up, which is just copied over from Wikipedia. The list of all music genres is 1,334 items long. The last of which is yodeling, by the way. And I feed it into this um, random list generator. Um, okay, and I press run. And okay, we've gone from cowpunk to deep funk. Deep, deep funk. So I'm going to be going away and listening to deep funk uh, and making some music in that genre next episode. Now that is probably close. That's probably the closest we've got so far in this genre tombola to something that I actually do sometimes play and make music in so deep funk it is i feel slightly more on home turf but i'm looking forward to exploring that uh, maybe with a guest for next time thanks once again for listening um, you can get that full wilton's music hall show the video of it at originofthepieces.com and you can find my patreon on there or just go straight to patreon and steve pretty on the origin of the pieces uh, yeah i'm really proud of that show and i think um, if you weren't there do check it out and give me five dollars a month to help support the show if you can of course money is tight for everyone at the moment so more importantly than even that is to spread the word if you enjoy the show and to you know review it and all that stuff i'm really gratified to see uh, people starting to do that and it's starting to spread a bit further and wider um, and i've just you know we got very close the other day to knocking pesky joanna lumley off her perch um, i was number three in the uk music commentary podcast charts uh, last last week and just Joanna Lumley just ahead of me wouldn't budge so yeah maybe uh, with a bit of word spreading um, we can temporarily dislodge Lumley from her perch <laughs> anyway Lumley aside thanks once again for listening thank you to my guest Nathaniel Dye don't forget to go to bowelcancerbucketlist.com and donate to his amazing cause maybe give him a tune to play as he's running the marathon and also of course let's get him to Glastonbury if you've got any way of, uh, of getting that to Glastonbury I'm sure he'd be incredibly appreciative of that thanks to uh, Hackney Colliery Band and Angelique Kidjo for the theme as always meanwhile stay musically curious and we'll see you in two weeks time Bye.